Hi, and welcome to the August Forum. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'll be sharing the stories of fashion industry professionals, creatives, and entrepreneurs about their journeys and experiences as they advance within this ever-growing industry. The August Forum, as an extension of the shop itself, allows you to have the ability to listen to those in the space. So whether you're an aspiring entrepreneur, trying to break into the fashion industry, or just curious about the ins and outs, we hope these stories will help you to achieve your goals. In this episode, I have the privilege of hosting this conversation with Tara Johnson, Marketing Director at the Foundation showroom and artist and creative under the alias TJ Wisco. From her journey of leaving her small town in Wisconsin and moving to New York to make her name, to her professional experiences at Jason Mark and then later the foundation, we learn about more about her and her journey. During my conversation with Tara, we not only touched on her trajectory, but her insight as a leader and as a creative artist within the space. We gained her insight into the fashion space and how to thrive in a current competitive environment. From her anecdotes to her takes and perspectives, this conversation was genuinely enthralling, and I believe you will find it equally engaging. This is the August Forum. All right, for today's episode, I'm with Tara Johnson. Tara, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I'm glad we're finally doing this. I was just telling you how I was so happy we finally got to do this, so... Yeah, I'm happy to be here. But before we get anything about who you are, what you do, any of that, we got to know who you are at first. So do you want to just give yourself an introduction, who you are and what you do? Yeah, well, my name is Tara Johnson. I also go by TJ, especially in the industry or Blondie, because, you know, I'm one of those. I am currently the marketing director at the foundation. But yeah, my journey's been a long one to get here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it definitely has. I think having researched you, there's so many different pockets of research I was able to do and like so many different things I had to find. But before any of that, we are a fashion and culture podcast at the end of the day. So the big two questions are, what have you been wearing recently? It could be what you're wearing now or just like Tara Johnson's uniform. And then what music you've been listening to as well. Mm, okay, good questions. What I've been wearing recently. So, I mean, I feel like I've always wore, I'm always Stussy, Carhartt Whip, like mm. menswear has always been a staple for forever since before it was kind of trendy for women. But I think my style is kind of developing a little bit more, especially as I've gotten older. I've been doing a lot lately, more Scandinavian designs like Ghani. Mm. Stad, and then obviously, you know, like Frankie Shop and, and whatnot as well. So I think that, you know, my style is changing a little bit as I get, mm. as they evolve. And then what about music? What is on the playlist? What is in your ears day to day? It depends on what day it is and what I'm doing. I listen to kind of everything. I know that a lot of people say that, but I do. It 100% depends on what I'm doing. I do a lot of Afrobeats, especially lately, because it's just feel good music. It's mm -hmm. good for any time, especially for summer. But then I go all the way to country and Zach Bryan right. and I go to 70s rock and 90s R&B is always my shit. So I'm kind of <laughs> a little bit everywhere. What's the music that you listen to when you're like traveling? Because, you know, we've talked about how you're all you're traveling every week. I feel like you're out and about like what is when you're on a plane, what are you listening to? I guess we could go a little more specific there. <laughs> Well, usually when I'm on a plane, I don't listen to anything. Oh. I zone out. So I'm either, if I'm not working, I totally use that as my downtime. Like planes mm -hmm. are kind of my sanctuary. 
I zone out. I, I know this is probably TMI, but that's like the time that I think. And I usually cry in planes because that's what <laughs> happens when you just kind of get your thoughts. You're like, oh shit. And it's just kind of like a release. But yeah, I don't listen to music in planes. I know that's kind of really? weird, but yeah. I feel like, do you watch movies then? Is that something you do? A hundred percent. I literally use it as my downtime to just kind of like recharge. Right. That's a, yeah. I was going to say the last time I was on a plane, I was just getting back from Norway and it was my oh, first time ever watching. Jealous. I oh, I loved it. I was in Savanger and Oslo. It was like the best trip. One of the oh. best trips of my life. So when you said Scandinavian fashion, I was just like, just thinking about how good they dress. Number one, honestly. Dude. It's, and design, like everything oh. they do is just right. Like I was right. just in Copenhagen. I'm like, oh God, everything's so beautiful. And I feel like a lot of people's perception, it's like, it's perfect. It's like post-perfect. It's like just beautiful. It's just like yeah. unworldly comparison. But my anecdote is finishing it off is like, I was my first time ever watching that new Everything Everywhere All at Once movie. And I was just bawling my eyes out i was like sitting next to someone like random they're like are you okay i was like i'm just watching a really good movie oh so i feel you on the crying in the plane it was my first time ever doing it so but <laughs> welcome uh, to the club ah first time first time <laughs> <laughs> but before we get into a lot about what you do in the foundation especially marketing and of course with tj wisco you as a creative in general do you want to talk a little bit about your journey, even if it's through the industry, if it's through your art, you know, your passions, any of that, like what has gotten you to your place here? Yeah, well, first and foremost, I am from Wisconsin. So mm. there we go. There's where the Wisco comes from. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I grew up in Onalaska, which I'll just say don't lacrosse because most people don't. I mean, okay. that's a little bit better. You yeah, know, there lacrosse. you go. Okay. Yeah. So I grew up smaller town on Alaska. I think it was you know, 12, 14,000 people type mm -hmm. of thing. And I wanted something new after high school. Like a lot of my friends went to the U or mm. Minnesota and or South. And I was like, I just don't want to know anyone. I want something brand new. So I went to Florida State, which is absolutely the opposite. <laughs> but they had a really good football team at that point. When I got there, it kind of went downhill, but go Knowles. And then they also had a good art department and a good fashion mm -hmm. design merchandising department. So I had majored in fashion design and then I ended up with a merchandising degree because fashion design is a lot harder than one would think it is, especially mm -hmm. pattern making and all the details. When I was little, I always wanted to be a designer. Like I had notebooks full of designs and drawings. I was like, this is what I want to do. And then I got <laughs> to the classes. I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> but I did go into the merchandising department, loved it. I always took art classes, but my parents were just like, what are you going to do with the art degree? And that's a side note. Also, for those people that are in college right now, don't listen to anyone else. Trust your gut. If you have a degree, mm -hmm. you can do anything. Most people are not right. in the job that they got a degree in. So like, oh, don't absolutely. worry about it. Just get your degree. You'll figure it out. Yeah. So I had a couple internships in New York. I interned for DKNY in the shoe department up there back mm -hmm. in the day. And it opened my eyes to a lot of different things. And I also worked at Abercrombie. So I did retail <laughs> out at South Street Streetport. Yeah. that And that was like the heyday of, of Abercrombie. That was, like, that was when loud music, you know, oh. scent of cologne just everywhere. Yeah, you spring each model seven times. Yeah, yeah. That kind of thing. Like the Netflix series on it has nothing on what actually <laughs> happens in that New York South Street Seaport store. Like that shit was 
unreal and crazy and yeah well just that's like another story that could be a whole other episode but yeah i worked retail Tara johnson and, and the abercrombie story <laughs> yeah it's a lot guys it's a lot <laughs> but yes i did that intern i also found out that you know with that internship it let me explore different departments right like mm-hmm. under dkny umbrella the woman i worked under was incredible and she let me shadow sales and she let me shadow design. So I never, ever, ever thought I would be into sales. But once I was in there, I'm like, oh, well, they are the people that are talking all day to people, making the relationships, working with the actual product. And I love products. Like that's Mm -hmm. one thing, you know, maybe not so much I'm a designer, but I love products and I love the story behind it. And I love the details of it and showing that. And I was like, yeah, my next internship, I want to do sales. (laughs) <laughs> so I did, which is wild because 100% I never thought I'd be in sales. And that kind of ended up or started my sales journey. Like I got a job out of my internship and kind of did sales for a minute. That's when I lived in New York. I moved to LA for 10 months and I hated it. And Dre <laughs> from the foundation actually moved me back. And he was like, teach, I got a job for you. You need to come back to us. I was like, Dre, I want to do sales. He's like, no, 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 you're going to do sneakers. You love sneakers. You Mm -hmm. always have like, like, let's do this. You're going to launch the women's and kids side of creative recreation. I'm going to give you Mm -hmm. keep shoes. And I forgot it was like another one. I know like we were working with like a life. We were working with kids. We were doing a bunch of brands at that point, but yeah. So I did that kind of side of the business and that was like the start of my sales journey. And the greatest thing about like foundation, especially that point, like it was early. It was like 2007 and you know, Instagram wasn't really a thing yet. Mm -hmm. And influencers weren't a thing yet. So you had celebrity that was your influencer. And you basically the salespeople and some of these smaller agencies did everything, right? So I got to, you know, do sales, do the wholesale Mm -hmm. part of it. I used to work with the best sneaker boutiques and like they became family and building those relationships. And then I also got to do the marketing of it, retail marketing of it. I got to seed things. I got to work with stylists. I got to do a little bit of everything. So I think that's the best thing about working at an agency is you get to touch everything and see what you really like to do. Right. Yeah. Just like scam the surface of what I did, but Yeah, I mean, that's what I loved about the agency life. And from there, I moved to LA, kind of got burnt out of New York, still love New York, still like my favorite place. But at that point, I was like, I'm in a hamster wheel right now. I'm not Mm -hmm. saving money. I'm not really moving up in my career. I just needed a change. So I moved to LA, worked with a couple brands there and ended at Jason Mark which mm-hmm. I love. Of course, you probably know this as a sneaker care company. They're incredible. Everything they do, the branding, all of it, kind of fell in love with them. And then I got poached back after that to the foundation doing partnerships. And then I started their marketing department and mm-hmm. kind of here I am now. You have one of the craziest journeys. I think that is one of the from a small town that nobody knows unless you say lacrosse, Wisconsin, <laughs> and you go to Florida State, and then now you've gone across the world. You've had a crazy story. That is, I think, I think we both can agree with that. Yeah, it's, it's been a journey, but it's been fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one of the first things I think I found out about you is that you worked with Jason Mark, that you just said, with like global sales and marketing. You mm-hmm. kind of said that their presence, their brand itself is so unique to them which is very true. So like, what yeah. was that like for you to work a 
company that loves shoes. I think that's the best way to put it. Like that takes care of shoes that is involved with the sneaker culture. Like what was that like for you? I think that was one of my moments that, you know, I've, like I said, I've always been more of a sneakerhead, like Nike, like Nike is all I wore. Even when I was working right. with Creative Rec, like I'd wear them to meetings and to appointments. <laughs> and then I put on my Nikes. Like that's how I always was. So working with a company that obviously it's just sneaker care and then also sustainability. And there mm-hmm. were so many different angles to it that like the culture there was so important. It's all the things that I wanted the company to be and Mm. to be a part of. And then plus just like the design elements of everything, like the branding so clean, it can go into so Mm -hmm. many different avenues. And that's what I loved. Like we could work with, you know, Nike, we could work globally with Nike, and then we can Mm -hmm. also work with the independents and we can be in a Nordstrom. Like it was kind of like the perfect product that can go different places. And, you know, sneaker cleaner, most people don't think about it. You're it's a cleaner so it's, a, it's good with leather goods it's organic for the most part and sustainable and also put you know your car seats are dirty you can use the same formula mm-hmm. and do your car seats or do your furniture and it's just care and sustainability instead of keeping buying it's it's so good especially when you do care about your sneakers when you want to wear them right. i'm not i'm not one of those people that are like all right <laughs> I'm not, I'm never going to rock it. I'm going to buy these and I'm going to like, just look at them. I'm like, I am going to to rock the shit out of them. Yeah. Yes. But when I wear them, you know, like afterwards, I want to take a quick wipe and wipe them down Mm -hmm. before I put them away, you know, really care and want to keep the longevity of them. Like back in the day, there wasn't releases every single week. So, and re-releases and re-releases of retros. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you had to keep your shoes clean. And so it was, you know, a toothbrush and right. everyone had their own like Clorox. Everyone had their own system. <laughs> but Jason really did it. Like he really yeah, figured s- out how to. Simplified it. Simplified yeah. the process. I was going to say like, I remember one of the first times I ever got to know about like Jason Mark was just like me being on the internet. You know, I'm part of the generation that grew up with the internet. So I got to see like my favorite YouTubers drop off their shoes at Jason Mark to get them clean. You know, I remember then going, having the ability to go to Japan and then in, I forgot what place it was, but there was a Jason Mark store and I wore the crap out of one of my shoes. I was like, I got to get these cleaned. And lo and behold, like it was just like right there. It's just, I think the branding with it was really just like Mm -hmm. special. That makes it so good. It's just like, it's just the go-to place, you know, it just makes it so easy. And like exactly. having it at August now, people are like, well, I'm going to get these shoes. How do I clean them? It's like, well, we have Jason Mark for you, you know, exactly. mm-hmm. but working with product, I'm similar to you. I love working with product. I think that is like some of the most like fun things you can do is like seeing something in reality, you know, and yeah, that's like something tangible. so special, right? It's tangible. You know, you're not working with data sheets too much. You're not thinking about what it could be. It's like, it's there for you. Something else that I found was really special and unique about you was just like your experience and your kind of like strength of managing relationships, especially throughout your career. You know, that was something super important that you had to learn and to get hone in really, really like tightly. So is that something that you kind of tend to lean on wherever you go and whatever project you're working on? Is that something that you find that you use like day to day? Oh, absolutely. I mean, relationships are everything at the end of the day. And, you know, it sucks to say this, but a lot of the times it's not what you know, it's who you know. 
in different ways, right? Like if there's something that I just have no idea about, but I'm working on, I probably know someone that is close to an expert or knows way more than I do that I can call. So there's that part of it, but just relationships in general, you never know where someone's going to be in five years, 10 years or, or whatnot. So keeping those relationships strong, I have relationships from when I first started in the industry that, mm-hmm. I mean, I can call on any time and just be like, Hey, what's up? I need help on this. And be like, I got you. I got you. I mean, that's something in, no matter what you're working on, you need those. Right. You need those for life. What's the secret? What is your best secret or best tips and tricks keeping those relationships and making sure that those are long lasting than just one simple, you know, connection that you once had, you know, what do you do that makes that like long lasting? I think the biggest thing is honesty. I I said I worked in sales for forever. And yes, that that's ability to make a lot of relationships but also the ability to burn a lot of bridges, especially when you're working with a lot of different brands, and you want to get them in these stores and, and some brands aren't the perfect fit or that season isn't a perfect fit. But again, you have to make your numbers and XYZ, you've got a boss Mm. to you know, that's going to be down your back if you don't. But I think that the one thing I also learned is just like, you just got to be honest and you got to be honest with Mm -hmm. everyone. And if there was a buyer and I knew it wasn't right, I would never sacrifice that relationship and them losing money over me having a small commission. Like, I think the honesty of everything is super important. And then the second is listening because people don't do that a lot. And I feel like, just sitting and listening sometimes is the best thing for both of you and for the relationship. It can't be a one-way street. So that and just, you know, keeping in touch, sending a note every now and then, or, you know, <laughs> even Instagram is so easy now. I mean, you could like something and be like, oh my God, I miss your face. And it's <laughs> legit, but it's because it's in your face at that point. Like it's so easy now to kind of stay in touch with you know, I think before it was a little bit, you had to make more of an effort. Now it's like, if you're not making that effort, then you're in a different dimension. Yeah, Yeah, you have no excuse at that point. In a day to day basis, I think you work not only with your own art that we're going to talk about, but you also have your work at the foundation. Like, how do you bring your creative energy, you know, the, the TJ effect, I just, we're going to coin that term right now. How do you bring that into your work at the foundation? Um, you know, I think that no matter what you do, you got to bring something of who you are into any situation. So, I mean, my lens is different than some other people that's, you know, I work with lens. And I think Mm -hmm. that no matter what it is, my vision is going to be different than everyone else's. So I think that that's what makes a team and what makes everything good is when you, you know, you kind of bring everything to the table. But I think, again, it's a lot of that listening part. There's a lot of noise now. There's a Mm -hmm. ton of noise. And it's like just sitting back and listening and actually having conversations about things like, you know, how I see things are, are very different from how other people sees it and vice versa. So I think it's just being collaborative and also listening, making the time for for all of that and creating space. I think that's hard too, is taking that time in order to be creative because mm-hmm. creatives need time to sit and do nothing and to create space in order to do that. Maybe how do you block that noise out? Because it's so easy to get caught up in the noise, you know, like we're in an age now where wherever we go, there's some sort of noise, you know, you can't 
fully step back. You know, you can maybe step back a little bit and you think you're stepping back fully, but at the end of the day, it's impossible to like, how do you block that out? Oh yeah. It's a struggle. I mean, I wish, I feel like I was just talking about this morning, just even with Instagram now, you know, like I am very guilty of, of popping up, up in the morning and like in bed, like scrolling. I'm like, what the hell am I, what am I doing? But then right. again, I can't take it off my phone because I need to watch some of the other brands and the mm-hmm. content that we create and everything else. So it's, it's gotta be tracked. So I think it's always a delicate dance, right? Like mm-hmm. there's so much noise, there's so much information, but I try to create that space, whether I have to schedule it in my own schedule. I'm really good on weekends doing it. I make to-do lists. I'm one of those people that can't really sit still. I'm a very much a doer. <laughs> so if I have a to-do list and I'm like, do art, I'm like, all right, cool. I'm doing art or cook or make a playlist. Like it's better for me to have a to-do list to do that in order to actually create space. And the weekends are kind of my sanctuary. I've also started, which I used to do when I lived back in Brooklyn, like Monday nights, the art night. Like I don't Mm. care what I have to do. If I'm painting, if I'm doing a doodle, it doesn't have to be something amazing. I don't have to finish it, but I have to start something, you know, starting the most, it's the hardest thing to do. Once you start, you're Mm -hmm. fine. But creating that space to unplug and do that, it's hard. I was going to say, I was able to talk to an artist. His name is Faisal, Dr. Abdullah. It was a great interview, but he even talked about how he still struggles to manage, you know, having that separation and creating that space. Like, you know, sometimes, you know, your Monday art day, you try and start, but all you can think of is something else, you know, like that is one of the hardest things ever. So when those do arise, like, how do you manage that? Do you, you know, he kind of talked about, just letting it go, being like, it happened. You know, you just got to just keep moving forward. Is that something that you kind of abide by as well? You know, where if it doesn't happen, like, oh, well, you know, you tried your best. I think that you got to trust your gut and really listen to yourself and what you need at that moment. I put Mondays just because Mondays are always like mental at work and you come <laughs> home and you're a little bit brain dead and you're like, I just need to unplug a little bit. And for drawing, like drawing and painting is the only time that my mind just shuts off. Mm -hmm. So I will try my hardest, even if I struggle so much and it's like bad and terrible, but I try to, but some days, like you said, like if what I need right then is just to like cook a good meal and that's art Mm -hmm. in itself. I feel like cooking, like I love cooking with fresh ingredients that's colorful and you just are, you know, you're experimenting and it's, you have got music, you've got like, you know, Sam Cooke on or at a James and you're just like (laughs) flowing with it you're still creating, right? Right. Like, I think that's the biggest part. It doesn't have to be like art night, but you have to like, your soul needs it to create Mm -hmm. and to keep going and do something, whether, like I said, whether it's cooking, whether it's drawing, whether it's, you know, just, you know, stretching, your body just needs to do something. It's like finding the art in the everyday things that you do, basically. Yeah. Even if it's not something that you inherently think as art, you know, as long as you're doing something that maybe not shuts off your brain, but makes you think about something else than what's going on. That is art. That's a great way to put it. I'm going to use that as a little snippet right there. (laughs) (laughs) My conversation with Tara was truly an exciting experience and one that I'm grateful we can share. What I loved about our interaction was Tara's honesty and excitement with her answers as she discussed her journey and perspective within the fashion space. During my discussion with Tara, we got to learn more about her journey as she left her small town in Wisconsin. 
venturing her own way and creating her own path, unlike her peers. Her time in college led her to find a love for merchandising and working within fashion and learning the ins and outs. Our conversation further engages in how she operates now as a leader and mentor within the foundation, and how for her, listening is a key value as a leader, and she grew into that role through her professional experiences. Our attention then shifted toward her time at the foundation, first as a brand architect, to then later being the marketing director and the leader within the space. Her anecdotes about the foundation lead to the notion of how the foundation itself is a family that Tara plays an important role in when cultivating the culture there. We learn more about her and her role. Well, let's get into the foundation a little bit more. You touched on a lot of like, you know, your time and, you know, your experience with that. But for the past 13 years now for you, what have been like the biggest lessons that you've learned or some of the biggest lessons that you find yourself passing down? Oh, those are good questions. (laughs) I think, you know, with my journey with the foundation, since I've kind of did a little bit of everything since I've Mm -hmm. been there, the biggest things I think are just like all overarching, right? It's using your voice. I think, you know, knowing when to speak and knowing when to listen, I think it also is another thing. One thing that I really do appreciate from foundation and especially back in the day, like we were doing streetwear and we were doing wholesale. Mm. I was one of the only women in that world. Like Mm -hmm. I'd go to trade shows and we'd, you know, we'd be there and I was one of the only women and I'd be in some of these meetings that initially I wasn't invited to. And the guys in the foundation, you know, those guys are my family and I love them so much because they always invited me in the room. They always encouraged mm-hmm. my voice and they always listened and they always asked for it, which I think, and I know at a lot of different companies doesn't happen for women right, and right. still is the same kind of thing. But mm-hmm. I think that that's one thing I really appreciate from them is that they do value their employees and opinion and their voice. And I feel like that's one thing you have to use it in order mm-hmm. to make shit happen in a lot of ways, whether it's an idea you have or whether it's your salary or whether whatever it is, use your voice and also know when to not talk and listen mm-hmm. equally as important. <laughs> also, I think that just, you know, trusting your gut in a lot of situations, whether it's, you know, in a meeting or it's a collaboration and it's gone so far and you're like, no, I don't think this is going to work or the timing's off or this is like, it doesn't feel right. There's a reason why it doesn't feel like and right. trust your gut and explore it and talk through it. I think also just working with your team. Mm-hmm. Foundation is great because it is like a family and it's like a small family and everyone is very, you know, interwoven for the most part. Mm-hmm. And when I kind of created the marketing department, it, it's all new, right? There's no rules. There's no regulations. There's no process. And like developing that and right. working with the team to do it. It's great because obviously, you know, there's training and there's policies and we have to do that. But like once you kind of get in the swing of things, you realize everyone that, you know, you have on your team has their spot too. And like your Mm -hmm. weaknesses is their strength. And you learn that. And it's, it is, it's just like, you want that. I think that's the goal for, I feel like any job is to have like a team that you can trust with everything. I mean, especially as I get older. I mean, I don't know what who the cool influencer is anymore. Like, I mean, I used to be like the girl. I'm like, yeah, I got this list. I got this list. I got right. this list. Let's go. And now I'm like, who? Who is that? <laughs> but the thing is, is like, I can trust my team to be like, Steve, this is this person. This is we need this, this, and this. And I'll be like, all right, I'll definitely look through and be like, all right, all right get it, all get right. it, get it. Or else 
I absolutely don't get it, but I trust them enough to be like, yo, you said that. All right, cool. We go with it type of thing. So yeah, it's trusting your team too, for sure. Is there anyone from your team that has like introduced you to someone that you like had no idea before? Oh, a hundred percent. I feel like that happens every day. <laughs> like, especially because we do a lot of seating and a lot of gifting throughout the brands. And right. um, we work with influencers, like obviously, like I told you, we're going to roll it loud next week and, mm-hmm. and just working with influencers on there for like content and this, that, and the other. And right. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know anyone <laughs> anymore. Or even some of the lineup, I'm like, shit i know like five people on day oh, one and like and, and that would be it. good for me and that's right. it and it's like literally like 30 people and i'm like yo okay but the thing so. is in like maybe like five years it's gonna happen again you know a hundred percent like, like yeah. you'll learn all these people you'll learn all these like different <laughs> artists and then you know five years from now it's gonna be a whole new lineup and you're like i couldn't name you a single one but speaking of Rolling Loud, one of the brands you work with is Kappa. Well, for you, it's like you've had like these skills of like really like as you t- kind of talked about with the foundation, like cultivating a culture within a family and like just cultivating like a culture in general. And for you, that's going to be crucial with like all the brands and all the people that you work with. How do you ensure that like the work you guys do and like what you and your team does like align with the values of the foundation itself, but also like the brand that you guys work with as well? Okay, that's a lot of layered question right now. <laughs> I'm like trying to think, like, where do I start here? Peeling the onion. Well, I think that honestly, it doesn't matter where you work or what brand it is. It's mm-hmm. still the same ingredients, right? Right. I just think that every brand is authentic, right? Every brand needs their own mm-hmm. voice. And every brand has, whether it has heritage or whether it's new and it's just launching, you have to stick true with the brand and what the ethos is instead of also catching fads or chasing this or we have to right. do this, we have to do celebrity and blah, blah, blah. But like, right. you have to like silence all of it and make a strategy of what you want your brand to be in five years or where you want it to be or what do you want it to look like and mm-hmm. distribution plan, marketing plan, digital plan, e-com plan. You need to have all of those elements and have all the teams working together. And I think that the team part is probably the hardest, especially, you know, I'm talking about agency that has a bunch of brands, but even if you work for one brand, the mm-hmm. hardest thing is having all those teams work together, having sales, marketing, e-com, warehouse, <laughs> content, photo, all of them working together and listening and communicating. That is the hardest <laughs> part ever like we still i mean we have like weekly meetings like with ecom and like you know obviously like digital marketing and google ads and this, this that right. and the other and it's still it's just like oh my god i had no idea what was happening over here oh, oh if you would have told right. me that i could have created content for this and it's really hard to keep that wrangled all together so mm-hmm. i don't know if i answered any of that question or if i just no. created a bigger one so <laughs> <laughs> i think that's like Something that interesting that you talked about is like creating a strategy where it's like you're not just trying to catch the latest trend. We talked about noise and like with that being everywhere. And I think one of the biggest platforms right now where there is a lot of noise within fashion, especially is TikTok, where it's just a platform where you in one week, you'll see one trend and the next week you'll see another trend. So like, how do you manage kind of like ensuring that you're not just you know, catching a fad, but you're more or less trying to implement something that does speak to a brand. Is that kind of like a conversation that's kind of difficult sometimes where, you know, you could gain like the quick 
buck, but is it going to be really that worth it? You know? Yeah. I mean, everything is so fast right now. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of the TikTok stuff, you know, I mean, I think it's a lot of luck, right? Like, oh, right. someone catches it in this set. I don't think you could be like, I'm going to make this hot on TikTok and this right. is going to happen. And like most of the time it doesn't happen like that. So you can't really put all your ducks in one row type of thing. Like mm-hmm. you can't all your eggs in one basket. That's better. High. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, you know, some brands, they need that quick money. They need the quick mm-hmm. We need to do this. We need to do this. We need to do this. And it's right. like, you are chasing something that, you know, like if you stay with the strategy and I know nothing, not many things are organic, right? Anymore, right. like it's pay to play, it's this, that, and mm-hmm. the other, but you have to think of the longevity of every brand. If you mm-hmm. want something hot and you want to go cool. And if it hits on TikTok and you're hitting, you know, hundred K in one day of right. sales, you're like, great. But like, also do you have the strategy and the backup plan to mm-hmm. make that actually happen? Because right. well, that's a lot of these like smaller brands too. They're like, they blow up so fast and they mm-hmm. don't have anything, operations, logistics, production, the mm-hmm. money to front production in order to actually have it happen. And then they implode. Right. So it's like, you need to have strategy no matter what you're doing. And you have to have like a guiding light North star being like, okay, this is even just a five-year plan, five-year plan, 10-year plan, all that shit's going to change. But at least if you have a direction of where your brand wants to be and and the ethos of what you want it to be like, no matter mm-hmm. if it hits on TikTok, no matter if it doesn't, like you have, it's step-by-step, step. you're still moving forward. Right. And I think that's like the biggest thing that people don't do anymore. They're like so instantaneous on shit. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's how you create like a long lasting brand, you know, with these past like few years, you know, I could, you could see like hundreds, hundreds of brands that like pop up out of nowhere, you know, with doing different things or even maybe the same thing, but it's like, you know, brands you talked about in the beginning, like Stussy and Carhartt Whip, those have sustained and lasted for a reason, yep. you know, they've stuck with their five year, 10 year plan. That's how fashion is always going to go, even though it's cyclical. It's like those that stay, they stay for a reason. They're the ones that stay yeah. within their ethos and their brand values, you know? And do you agree with yeah, that? Yeah, 100%. Like if you if you think about Stussy, like, again, that's will always probably will be one of my favorite brands. But if you look at their journey and what they did from like mm-hmm. back in like the 80s, the Stussy tribe to like now. Right. It hasn't been just it hasn't been just going up. It's right. definitely a roller coaster of a yeah. journey, but like but they stuck with their voice. They know who they are. They mm-hmm. know what they want to get out of it and it's just like, you know, there's still that heritage and that like rooting royalty, like royalty right. in that brand like right. it's it's the G of brands. I definitely think they're just the brand where it's like you can see one of their old 90s, 80s graphics and you look at one of their new graphics now that they might have just released in the past season. And there's not much of a difference. You know, it's definitely newer, but it's like they still got the same like Stussy touch. And I think that is something that, you know, you don't see with many brands, you know, especially those that are, you know, fading away where it's just they change a lot season to season, just trying to catch 
again, like we said, a fad or a trend just trying to keep up. But for you personally, like what are some of the favorite brands that you guys work with? It could be fashion. I know you guys also do lifestyle. You guys do so much more than that. I don't want people to think the foundation is solely just a fashion agency. But what are some of your favorite brands you've gotten to work with so far? Back in the day when I did sales, like my favorite, one of the brands that I worked with for the longest was a Retro Super Future, which is a sunglass mm-hmm. company out of Italy. And we launched it in the States. And I mean, I love that brand. It just the quality of it. Everything was handmade acetate. Like I went to the factories like outside of Milan. It was gorgeous and beautiful <laughs> just to see how it, the product, right? I'm like product, like right. how it was made and the intricacies of it. And like, oh, it doesn't fit your face. Warm it up. It's it's handmade acetate. Like take a hair, hair dryer, like form it to your face. Like these little nuggets that are just so interesting to me. Like mm-hmm. I love brands like that, that are true to the product first and foremost. Right now we have a brand called Arki and it from Stockholm, from Sweden. And it is, I think probably my favorite brands in there. I think they're still kind of figuring things out on their story and everything, but the product is so beautiful and it's designed by engineers. So everything they do, they just do right. And it's like Mm. their first product that took them like seven years to make. And because of it, it's perfect and beautiful. It's a water carbonator and it's meant Mm. to stay outside on your actual countertop because it Mm -hmm. is a piece of art. And then they have expanded some of their product line to nesting glasses, which are crystal glasses that all nest Mm -hmm. on like on top of each other. And they're all different sizes, but they all hold the same amount it's like 9.7 ounces or whatever that's crazy it's beautiful and great i use them as my wine glasses but i you know you think about also just like smaller spaces like i lived in new york like those are the perfect glasses for new york or someone in an apartment i think that's probably my favorite brand right now just because of the design and product element and they just do everything right in that degree and we just need to make sure that the u.s appreciate it as much as the nordics do that's very interesting. Well, first off, it's like you can grab like the smallest cup, you know, pour some wine. You're like, oh, I'm not drinking too much. But in reality, <laughs> it's the same amount. But the second is like it, this really does go into our conversation where it's like, you know, getting that right product, you know, that's like I feel like it's so important where a lot of people, again, at the end of the day are just trying to catch something where they might not have the same like brand ethos, you know, like maybe they're creating a product that really doesn't speak to them, you know, like. I've been seeing a lot of brands right now, like soccer jerseys are a big trend on TikTok. And a lot of brands are doing them. And it's just like, I've never would have imagined you in that culture. But, you know, for a brand like that, where it's like, they made a product that's perfect for them and perfect for the user. I think that's like, just so great to see. And for you, it's like, you know, now your guys' mission and your goal is to make sure, again, like you said, the people in the U.S., consumers like myself, like, appreciate what they have built. Like, what goes into that? What is the process like? Is it just, you know, communication about, like, what do they want to do and you guys try to execute that? Or is it you guys try to build a strategy with them and for them? It definitely depends on the brand and the kind of deal, at least what my situation with the agency that, you know, I work with or work for. Someone like that we have a distribution plan for, right? Like we kind of take what global has and Mm -hmm. we try to tweak it to the U S there's different brands that we do different things with, but a lot of those deals, you know, we try to keep it on brand as much as possible because again, globally, it has to make sense. It has to be Mm -hmm. one voice globally. But if you think about the different markets throughout the world, it's very different consumers and how we consume and whatnot. Like speaking of like Arky, like, 
sustainability is like a no brainer in Europe, mm-hmm. especially like, you know, Denmark and Sweden, like that's just how they live. And like here, we don't do like what they do. So, you know, right. even talking to them, be like, we need to actually have that as, you know, one of our, one of our content pieces. And we need to build out a program that's saying like mm. how sustainable we are. And they're like, well, what do you mean? Like, that's just everyday life. And I'm like, no, no, right. no, it's not here though. <laughs> so there's like important points that they don't think of that we're like, no, no, right. no, those are like huge selling points. Like how much you're saving and like how many bottles and cans that you mm-hmm. are, you know, you're saving and like the, we do like even a canister, a CO2 canister that's, you know, made from recycled corn. Like there's certain mm. things that there are great messaging points that they're just right. like, well, we don't have to message That's them, like, but we do. <laughs> it's great. Let's talk about it. So it's definitely like taking basically, you know, their brand guidelines first and foremost and making mm-hmm. sure that we stay within them, but like also telling messages and stories that are important to our audience. Right. Is that definitely like, you know, like you kind of just mentioned here where it's where, especially when you're working with like an international company where something like that is so inherent within their own culture like is that usually something that you work with is just like okay something as great as that sustainability like we don't appreciate that and that's not inherently built in our culture like is that something you definitely think you work on a lot is just ensuring that those selling points are like marketed to consumers you know i think so i think it is important depending on what we're doing right whether it's like retail marketing whether it's content social right google ads whatever it is but i just think that you know, doing it in a tasteful way and doing it on brand. It's always Mm -hmm. has to be on brand and make sense for everyone involved, right? We can't go rogue and be like, this is what we want to do. Because at the (laughs) end of the day, like, it's still one brand and a consumer that comes from Europe and if they move and they want to buy it and it's very different product or very different view, consumer view, I just think that that's something wrong. It's not a good unit as a brand. Right. Well, we have talked about work a lot, definitely, for the past few. (laughs) During our talk, it was great to hear Tyra talk about the foundation and the family culture that has been cultivated there, which allows for everyone to not only feel welcome, but to succeed within their own particular roles. We delved into now talking about Tara as an artist under TJ Wisco. Not only her journey, but her perspectives of the current state of art and culture and how they both simultaneously play roles with each other. From talking about creative projects to having her works displayed in exhibits, what I appreciated about Tara was her candid honesty about how art aids her in her own personal well-being. In addition, our conversation expanded on what the future holds for her, not only as a professional, but also as an artist and a human being and how she wishes to continue to grow and find happiness in her her work, and her own personal life. So let's move past that. The first thing, you know, first thing I found out about you and what when Rob sent me your profiles and everything to do, you know, a little bit of research on is, you know, you're a creative, you're an artist. Full and foremost, like that is something that you are. You're kind of like your style of artwork is just beautiful portraits with like different mediums of art. Like, could you talk about how you might have like, gotten that style of work and like what kind of opportunities I've left to you know anything of those sorts yeah I mean I feel like art since I was little has always just been something that's been a part of my life you know just like I love drawing and Mm -hmm. again like I think it's like a therapeutic thing like I feel 
like when I'm 70, I'm going to be an art <laughs> therapist and like do that for like kids in the hospitals and like make programs just because I mm. think it's so therapeutic. Like everyone's right. creative and we can do it. I lost it when I was in my early 20s in New York because mm. I was hustling. I was throwing right. parties. I was working. I was doing things. <laughs> um, but I then, you know, I started getting fried and I came back mm-hmm. to it. And since then, I kind of made it more of a priority in my life. Mm-hmm. And I always kind of went towards faces. And I feel like this has right. been since I was little. But I love drawing portraits and I love mm. the stories it can tell. And, you know, especially older men, like, the wrinkles, the eyes. I feel like there's just so much to tell within a portrait that, yeah. I mean, I think, and then how the viewer sees it is always going to be different, right? Whatever I paint and what I think I'm putting into it or Mm -hmm. what I'm throwing out on the canvas, the viewer can think of totally something different. But I hope that they just connect and I hope that they get a story out of that person's eyes that you know that's good for them right something you kind of mentioned was that you lost that for a little bit you know you were in new york you were busy definitely as you mentioned you were you know on the hustle but for a lot of people you know something like that their creativity kind of whispers i don't even know if that's a word it kind of moves away and it you know you lose that for a little bit Mm -hmm. do you have like advice for anybody that's just like that is trying to find that like creativity again trying to reignite their creativity and like their form of art whatever that is like how did you get back like to doing that and like how did you find that inspiration to do that again you know I think for me when I started painting again I was burnt out and I needed something Mm -hmm. and that was something that I always remembered that I like to do so I went and tried it out again But, you know, a lot of my friends that aren't typical creatives and they see me and they see how therapeutic it is and like how it recharges me and how it's like my little Zen thing. And they're like, oh, I wish I had something like that. I wish I had something like that. And for me, I'm just like, go try something. At the end of the day, there's and especially now there's so many different classes and whatnot. And Mm -hmm. one of my best friends, you know. I remember he was going through a tough time and I sent him like a sketchbook and I was like, just start, like start doodling right. the, you don't have to like draw a masterpiece. You don't even have to draw anything. Just start writing circles or whatever. Right. He did that. But then he took a ceramic class and he started doing pottery mm. and like, that was his thing. Me right. doing pottery. It <laughs> frustrates the shit out. Like, it is not therapeutic, therapeutic at all. I'm like, this is the least relaxing <laughs> situation I've ever had in my life. Like I can't do it. I'm like, so just like it's like a ball just going everywhere right. <laughs> I just can't do it. but for him like that works for him you know so mm-hmm. I think it's just anything you just have to figure out what it is and it, maybe it's not creative maybe it's maybe it's going for a run you know mm-hmm. it's just something that gets your mind right again right I was gonna say I'm also pottery ceramics i was awful at this you know it's so hard it's so hard you know like the steadiness of your hands like is just like wild to me you know it's the technique too it's it's not but for you you know you've gone to showcase some of your works in like you know a gallery one the one by one exhibit then you also were able to do like an artist residency to like continue to hone your skills and grow as an artist like could you talk about like how those opportunities came for you and then like what did you learn from those opportunities yeah I think that one thing that I have kind of always done not always but I feel like 
especially since Instagram has been such an outlet, like I will throw up some of my art pieces and not right. care, you know, like, mm-hmm. and that's, that's kind of hard to do. Those are your babies and mm-hmm. they're never going to be perfect. And especially this day and age, when you put something up, you're like, Oh my God, nobody likes it. And like right. most of my art shit, dude, I will, I'll put like a drawing and be like, Oh my God, this is the best thing I've ever done. And it'll get like <laughs> 16 likes. And then I'll put like, <laughs> a picture of like me and like Lake Como and I get like 300 and you're just like, what the (laughs) hell dude? Like, how is this thing? So it's like one of those things that you just have to keep doing and not caring. But Mm -hmm. then people see, it's like one of those things that people have saw and we were like, Oh, you do art. And, and opportunities have come from me through that, Mm -hmm. through just little things of posting on Instagram, which I know is stupid, but it is, it's a, it's an awareness play. Right. And I also think you just have to kind of listen to the universe and, you know, opportunities mm. will come up and it's whether you're watching for them and you kind of hook, line and sinker it or else right. you let them pass you by. Right. And that was one of the things with like the artist residency and it was at Soundview and like Greenport, Long Island. And I like Greenport, Long Island. I love it is one of the most beautiful places. If I could have a house anywhere, it would probably be there. Like at least in the US, <laughs> it, would be, it would be definitely there. <laughs> And I was like, just talking about it. I was, you know, bringing it like, mm-hmm. trying to speak it into existence. And then my friend was like, Oh, my gosh, there's an artist residency at this hotel. And she's like, you should apply. I'm like, Yeah, I'm like, I have my job. And I can't go for, you know, a month anywhere, this, that, the other. Mm-hmm. And she's like, just, just apply. And I applied and it was a week. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I got it. And, right. you know, I talked to my job and took PTO and, and made it happen. And it was one of those things like I never thought I, I could even get something, but it's just right. listening and putting out there. And it's and same thing. I mean, the shows that I've done in ABV Gallery, like that's one of my Greg Mike is like one of my good friends from college. Like we'd had art class together. We'd mm-hmm. sit next to each other at art class. So he's just like my boy boy from back in the day. But I also did one in Portland with one of my friends as a joint show. And it's just like opportunities come hey do you want to do this yeah for sure it's just one of those things like when people know what you do and what know what you like to do it's easier for them to be like hey do you want to do this because if nobody knows what you're doing or what you like to do those opportunities are going to come or you're not going to hear about them as much Mm -hmm. as if you're not talking about it or being about what you want that's actually really good advice right there i think like we're in a day and age now where it's just so easy to get in your own head when something doesn't get a lot of likes or, you know, you might be a little nervous to post something because it's like, you know, we're at day and age now where it's like likes do kind of, you know, bolster or ruin your ego a little bit, you know, and it's just mm-hmm. having that self-confidence that's super important for you. As you know, you were able to do this art residency. You've been in galleries. You've done so many different like you've had these different opportunities. Have those opportunities kind of like made you think about maybe different avenues or mediums you want to explore in the next few years you know you keep talking about you know doing older men are you gonna do like older women you know who knows what what what, what's in your head about this (laughs) well right now I do a lot of pen and ink and then I do acrylics but Mm -hmm. one thing that I've always wanted to do is oils like I've Mm -hmm. never really tried that and it's just like dumb if I love portraits like to not do oils it's just stupid but I always get in my head about that because of just the space that you need and the different materials. And it's not as user-friendly as something like acrylic. So that's one thing that I I would like to try. And then also, I would love to 
when I do get like a bigger space or have a studio, I would love to do woodworking. Like I, oh. I want to do benches and tables mm-hmm. and I want to do something like that. Something that's like you can, it's a functional piece. Yeah, like <laughs> furniture. I mean, I've got, I, I've tried to do a couple of things and, you know, with the tools and room I have, I think that right. they're pretty good. Like my table and, and like I've got a TV stand and stuff like that, but there's small little projects. Like I would love to like make like beautiful pieces that like stay in the paint and like, yeah, that kind of thing. I feel like, you know, you talk about like ceramics being hard. I feel like woodworking is just like a step up from that, you know, like, is that like any harder for you at all? Where it's like, you know, it's a little more meticulous. Listen, I can't say that I'm a woodworker at all. Because <laughs> I like, I've, I've made like very, very, very small things. But I just think it's so, I don't know, it's so interesting. My dad used to make a lot of things and he used mm-hmm. to like build houses. Like that was his therapy, like not art. Right. He'd be like, hey, baby, I'm going to make another side of this house or I'm going to do like a three-story thing, like three-story deck and blah, blah, blah. Like that's what he liked to do. So I've always been a little bit interested in that, but on a smaller, more furniture level. Right, right. You wake up and you see a whole new deck out in the backyard and you're like, <laughs> when did this come about? You know, with oils, it's like, that's a whole different like medium that you, or different medium that you want to explore. Like, how do you like get started with that? Is it just basically like sitting down and trying or is there kind of like almost a is that kind of the learning curve that you have to deal with usually yeah I'm, I'm sure I mean honestly so I'm very old school in my ways with a lot of things <laughs> like <laughs> like I'm very analog like I like paper I like pencil right. so for me and I'm stubborn so like I will go and I'll probably just like get stuff and like just start going and learning myself but like a smart person would go on YouTube and like take some tutorials, but like, I just can't do it. Like you can't. I can't physically do it. No, I just would rather trial and error or have someone teach me. Right. So maybe mm-hmm. I feel like the better avenue is like, all right, I'm going to go take a class and like have someone actually like sit with me and teach me mm-hmm. and show me. Cause I'm so visual that I need that, but yeah, I can't do the YouTube things. Like I'm not like my like attention it, does not go there. Yeah. I also say like, I feel like those, it's just so easy to learn in person when you can see it up close in person and ask questions that you may have. Cause you know, with those YouTube tutorials, all you can do is just like leave a comment, you know? Yeah. <laughs> or rewind and fast forward. Rewind, rewind and see if I got it the first time, maybe. <laughs> but speaking of art, just as a general topic, and it is a part of culture, you know, it's, it's a huge thing you know, as a part of our like day to day, you know, everything that we interact with is art and anything that we see online is in a way deemed art. But for the past few years, I think it has become a big storytelling, you know, aspect of our culture, you know, we see it as a form of protests and igniting like a very charged topic and all these different, you know, things that we see online about how it speaks, or tells a huge story. For you, like, how important is that to you to be able to see art showcase as a way of communication for people, as a way of, like, telling a whole new story that has never been told before? I feel like, you know, art traditionally has been a way of just documenting time. And I think, you know, when you talk about, you know, protesting art and this, that, yeah, you think of, I, I go back and think of, like, Picasso when he did, like, Guernica and how crazy and like mind-blowing that was and how you know politicians everyone is mad and people loved Mm -hmm. it and 
And like, that's what you want, right? When you create a piece of work and whatnot, you want rage, you want people to hate it, you want people to love it, you want people to talk about it just in Mm -hmm. general, which I think that's the biggest thing is documenting and people talking about it. I think it's super important. I feel like it's this way of self-expression and just a part of the times. I could never probably do that kind of art. That's not my style, but it. Mm-hmm. I think it's just super important. Also, it shows things in a different lens, all types of people in different areas. Obviously, in the country, you can see what's happening in, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm in LA, what's mm-hmm. happening in New York, what's happening in Chicago, right. what's happening in Texas, and how different, mm-hmm. you know, everybody is reactions to it. And also, like, who's doing the artwork? and what's actually happening i think that a lot of good photography came out of like covid Mm -hmm. as well like i i see you know a friend melody cole and what he did during covid and especially in the political lenses it was just so beautiful and also just i mean not i don't want to say aggressive but just like terrifying at the same time like this shit has happened like wild but you know like those are the artists that create that capture those moments in time and those people's emotions that you can Mm -hmm. see and you're like oh god I feel that and I think that's important especially now that like we're so desensitized to everything we're numb oh yeah to Mm whatever is going on we're so like two seconds like there's a shooting every day in America and like we don't even like hit us like it should anymore so I feel like artists that's one of their roles in life especially if you have that talent to storytell and to capture mm-hmm. that emotion that is a talent that you need to absolutely share with the world and have people feel again right i think that what you said there was like being desensitized is truly a thing right now with so much that's like going on but when you see it in a form as beautiful as in art i feel like that's when a lot more people feel emotionally attached to it because it's like you don't think about that but when you see it in a way the way that it's usually presented it's nuts you know you can never imagine that i'm glad that you answered that because i've always you know i love having the opportunity to talk to artists that's always a question that i want to ask is the role that art plays because it does play a huge role in our day-to-day lives and also our culture But for you now, personally, you know, what are your goals, you know, even as an artist or just Tara Johnson herself? What are your 2023 (laughs) goals and beyond? You know, I think my goal at this point in life is to kind of figure out a little bit more balance. I feel like this Mm -hmm. year has been a lot and it's been a lot for a lot of people, heavy or otherwise, but just to find that work-life balance again and most part just to be happy i feel like that's a huge goal in itself and that's kind of all i really want i just want to be happy Mm -hmm. that's good what are those ways that you like feel like you want to achieve that you know especially that happiness it's so easy to now like not lose that i'd say but get caught up where you know what you think once brought you joy now no longer brings you joy you know what are those ways for you to find that I think no matter what, I mean, what brought me happy three years ago is not going to bring me happiness today, right? You have right. to evolve as a person. So you you have to kind of sit in your shit in order to figure out what does make you happy and what makes you feel again. Like we we're just talking about being desensitized. And I feel like, you know, being always on and all the noise, it's like hard to just sit in silence and be like, mm-hmm. 
oh shit, like what does make me happy? What do I want? Like having those, even that thought process, it is hard to get into that space. So mm-hmm. for me, it's again, it's I think having more art in my life because it is a time to recharge. Right. I travel a lot and I think that that helps me too is just seeing new cultures and you know people different foods and like kind of getting immersed in that but yeah I just feel like everyone needs to slow down a little bit mm. keep it simple and I feel like that's kind of what happiness is it's not all you don't have to be having a thousand likes and you don't have to be consuming all of the shit it's just like right sit down and be like, okay, what made you smile today? What would Mm -hmm. make you happy? Like, Mm -hmm. who makes you happy? Like, does my circle still benefit me? And do I benefit them? Right. I think it's just like asking yourself some of these questions and taking the time to do it. Because that's the hardest thing is like, taking the time to do it and just just sit in it. We're going to end it right. That is the best way to end it. Honestly, like, I don't know if there's anything better than that to end this entire episode on. But thank you so much for doing this, Tara. I really do appreciate it. Before I let you go, like, what can the people look forward from you and everything that you're doing? And then where can the people find you? Well, hopefully they'll see some art soon because my ass (laughs) needs to start doing that again. (laughs) <laughs> for my happiness. I guess you can just find me on Instagram at TJ Wisco. That's probably the easiest way. And yeah, hit me on. All right. Thank you so much, TJ. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into today's episode. Once again, I'm your host, Andrew, and I want to thank Tara for taking the time to speak with me today and to Sam Walner for creating the music you heard on today's episode. This episode was about listening to those with firsthand experience in the marketing side of the fashion industry. So if you know anyone looking to learn more about marketing and the influence it has on fashion, share with them this episode. You can find me and the shop on Instagram at Andrew Inamoto and at underscore August shop and find August located at 414 State Street, Madison, Wisconsin or on august-shot.com. Once again, thank you for listening to the August Forum.